What a what a wonderful story. Multiplication. That's amazing. So out of one seed, 117 seeds were planted after that. And that was just the first year um, with him. And uh, what a joy it is. Uh, so with that being said, Operation Christmas Child starting and getting ready and uh, thinking about pa- packing boxes and uh, packing parties and things like that. You saw the boxes out there in the, in, on, on your way in, I hope. And that's for extra stuff for our a packing party that we want to do. So if you come up with extra that doesn't fit into your box, um, if you should decide to to build one, um, throw it in there and we'll make sure it gets into some kids' hands. So uh, what a blessing. And yo-yos, they're great hole fillers. You know, you, you think of them as hole fillers. It's not the wow toy, but it may be, you know. So um, uh, we used to, I used to take Jolly Ranchers, you know, and, and fill it. You know, you, you put the big rocks in and the little rocks in and then the sand and you keep filling that box. Jolly Ranchers were the sand. You know, you can shake it out and really pack. They don't let you do that anymore because they get hot. And so then you got a big, you know, you got a big Jolly Rancher when you get to Africa or wherever it goes. And, a, and there's a toy in it somewhere, you know, so that doesn't work anymore. But there's other things you can use for those fillers. And uh, so think about that, you know, bouncy balls, just rubber bouncy, a hundred of them. Just pour them in there where marbles, maybe, I don't know. Um, go for it. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 73, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Tonight is um, Fields of Faith. You're welcome to join us for that. Our worship team will be doing the worship out there. It'll be at the, is it at Bearcat, right? It's at the university there at the field. Um, and that's a, that's a great, a wonderful ministry. Um, so you can join and support. I know the guys are heading out there to set up. Do you guys need help? you need some hands maybe? Would that be a blessing or not really? Get out of my way and this is stuff you don't touch. Okay, so never mind. Don't help them. You might break something. Um, so anyway, that's coming up tonight. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this, this new book. Uh, as Psalm 73 begins, the third book of Psalms, uh, we pray that you'd help us to understand it, help me to teach it in such a way that it's, that it's uh, clear. Um, and uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the third book. It's written by uh, Asaph. He was the worship leader during David's time, we believe. Um, a, a man of God similar to David um, in heart towards the Lord and in heart towards worship. Um, and what a blessing it was to have someone like that. I'm sure David appreciated that, not being the only worship leader you know, in Israel, but there were others and several that could uh, join in and have the same heart for God. And so we hear this psalm, a song written by this Asaph, and it's a beautiful one. It's probably one of the most recognized ones. I think you'll hear a lot of the things, a lot of the verses in it you've used, maybe, or have heard in other teachings. Um, and it's quite a, it's quite a blessing. It's really eloquent or ele- elegant in its in its way it's presented. So, verse one: Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled; my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first three verses tell us that this is somewhat of a confession for this writer. He had a difficult time with some of the things he was observing in the world. Um, basically, the wicked doing well, you know. And it's a, it's a misunderstanding on our part to think that, well, wicked people just have wicked lives. And they get what they deserve. And good people live good lives. And they get what they deserve. And that's kind of our idea. And we forget some of the scriptures that God gives us about the rain, which is a blessing in Israel and in the desert, falling on the just and the unjust alike. And so when we see the unjust getting this beautiful rain from God, this beautiful blessing, it's like, wait a minute. You know, you kind of stomp your foot. Wait. It's like a sibling, you know, who sees some of the, one of the other kids get away with something. You know, hey, 
wait, you yelled at me for doing that last time. Well, you know, I know the circumstances. Well, that's not fair. You know, I want, I want fairness, and we want justice, and we want it now, you know, kind of thing. Well, the writer's feeling that. What I want, hopefully, you to take away from the first three verses, I believe God wants us to, is that the writer here, although confessing, almost slipping, almost stumbling, doesn't, and it isn't sin for him to have these thoughts. Does that make sense? He's not slipping down the slope into unbelief, into all these things. He's got some thoughts and some questions about what he's observing in this world, and he's just writing them down. But it doesn't mean that his Christian living is tainted or that he's doing the wrong thing. He continues to worship. He continues to lead. He never steps down from his ministry. He's just working some things out, and that's just absolutely fine. And he does that in this song. And so don't, sometimes we feel that way. You know, it's important to pull every thought captive for sure, to catch yourself, you know. But he says, I almost slipped, but I didn't. I thought about it for a minute, and this is what he's getting to. And he starts off with the truth of the matter, and then he tells us the process of how he got there, okay? He starts off with, truly, God is good to Israel. We know that. But here's where I stumbled and here's where I slipped in my mind or began to or almost did. I began to watch the wicked and I saw them doing pretty good by themselves. He didn't like what he was seeing, okay? And and, uh, there's three people that I came to mind when I was seeing that. Um, Three men, there were women too, but I I just picked three men um, that fainted. They had a fainting fit maybe in their faith. Jonah would be the first one. In Jonah chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, when my soul fainted within me, you remember why Jonah's soul fainted? Well, he didn't want Nineveh saved. (laughs) He was the prophet of Israel who loved prophesying to Israel because he likes Israel, you know. But I want you to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I like Israel. I hate Nineveh. Nineveh needs to die. Israel, You know, it's just an understanding. And he had a fainting fit with the Lord. And of course, God swallows him, puts him in a fish that he prepared for him, takes him there. And so he says that, my my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Now, this is all being said inside the belly of the fish, by the way. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. It's a little repentance prayer of, I'm sorry that I thought that way, that I had a fainting fit, you know, seaweed wrapped around his head in the belly of a fish, tight, tight, hot, three days later, you know, kind of thing. It it took him that long to pray, you know, stubborn guy, you know. I'm sorry. Salvation belongs to you. If you want to save Nineveh, save Nineveh. And here's God's response, verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. (laughs) You're out. Okay, now do what I asked you to do. A fainting fit. We can all have them. Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 10 and 18. I just did those two verses. We don't need the whole story. You can read it on your own if you want to. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He's having a fainting fit. I'm all by myself, you know. God had just asked him, why are you in the cave? Because she's killing everybody, forgetting 
the miraculous, wonderful thing that God did on Mount Carmel where the fire came down and consumed and all the prophets of Baal were destroyed by the people. Well, she got mad and killed all the, you know, retaliated. And now he thinks that he's lost. Verse 18, skipping ahead. God says to this fainting fit prophet, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You're not alone. There's 7,000. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. There's 7,000 in Israel that haven't done this. And that's a lot of people. That's a pretty good remnant. It is a remnant. It's not a whole tribe or anything. It's not like lots of tribes. It's not 50%, 90%. It's, you know, 1%, 2%. But there's still 7,000. You're not by yourself. But that's how he felt. A fainting fit. Elisha's servant Worried, concerned, been following Elisha for a long time, seen axe heads float, things like that. Pretty good stuff, you know. Well, they get surrounded by man and their chariots and their horses, and they're about to get destroyed in the city that they're sitting in. And Elisha's over there whittling, or I don't know what he's doing, but he's just, you know, not worried about a thing. And so the servant is concerned, what are we going to do? And so Elisha says this, therefore, well, let's read the whole story. This is, this is the surrounding. Therefore, verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 6, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Fainting fit. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It was a God's army was there, just hidden, just unseen, in the spiritual realm, basically. Elisha knew they were there. Elisha had enough faith to know. But this little fainting fit that he was having, and understandably, I don't see what you're seeing, Elisha. That's important. It's important for us to understand, though, when we have our fainting fits, it's more than likely our perspective that's the problem. We don't see or we're not reminding ourselves of what Scripture tells us is happening all around us. The battle may feel like it's flesh and blood, but it isn't. It's spiritual. We may think this November we have an opportunity to get the right flesh and blood in, but please keep in mind it is a spiritual battle that we're fighting here, okay? And, and that's how we fight, is spiritually. Um, it's our perspective. And so the psalmist here says, my perspective was off. I had forgotten. I wasn't thinking. And that's very easy to do. Monday's coming tomorrow. Sunday's great. We're in the house of the Lord. We're with brothers and sisters who know God. We all sang songs together. We all think Jesus saves, believes Jesus saves. Everything's going great. John and I just had that conversation out in the foyer. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord with people that are like-minded, but Monday's coming. and You're going to be surrounded by people that don't see things the way you see things. And it's very easy to forget this perspective this morning and fall into their perspective on Monday. And find yourself perhaps having a fainting fit. Discard yourself from it. Just almost slip. Let's just not slip tomorrow. Just almost slip. But remind yourself you know, of the things of the Lord. So, verse 4. For there are no pangs in their death, these wicked people. But their strength is firm. 
They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Very poetic. Now, that's not always the case, and I think Asaph knows that, but what he's witnessed maybe recently is a lot of people dying in peace that are wicked people. I mean, they, they, they lived a life of abundance, they had everything, and who knows, maybe he's been praying for a long time for this one relative or one you know, enemy, friend, slash co-worker to get finally saved, open their eyes to see their ways, you know, and to repent. And he's saying, well, maybe on their deathbed, maybe that'll be it. They'll gasp and writhe in pain and come to know, you know, the truth. And they didn't. They just kind of fell asleep peacefully and went off into eternity. And that bothered him. Maybe he sees that all the time. He says, understandably, he's in the temple. I mean, not in the temple. He's in the, he's in the palace. I mean, there's not a lot of poor people in the palace. I mean, if, even if you're working there, you've got a pretty good job, you know whatever your job or task is. And so he's looking at all these happy, you know, flush, beautiful faces, well-dressed, well-mannered, well-taken care of, all, you know, doing their jobs. But it's, 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 uh, it's deceptive for him. He looks at this and says, why am I not seeing hardship, you know? Now I leave the palace and I walk out in the streets. I see plenty of it. I see good people begging. I see this, that, and the other thing. And I go back to the palace. I see all these people. I say, what are you, why do you have all the money? You know? why, why do you have all the health? Why do you have all the food? It's bothersome to him. So he's fainting a little bit. There's no pangs in their death. Well, certainly some wicked people had pangs in their death. Not everybody dies peacefully in their sleep. Not everybody's strength is firm. But... Regardless of what the truth is, that's his perspective right now. That's what he's seeing. You know. That doesn't seem fair to him. It's a, it's a bad faith. It's the kind of faith that produces a question like in John chapter 9, verse 2. And the disciples asked him, Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's bad faith. We don't understand our doctrine. We don't understand truth. And Jesus explains that. No, he wasn't born blind because his mom and dad were bad. He's not being punished for some sort of sin that they committed. He's born blind so that the the glories of God can be seen right now, that the miraculous work can be done, and he heals the blind man on the spot, and that's why he was blind. Now, there's other questions you may ask after that. Really? Wow. You blinded this guy for 20-plus years so that you could do a miracle when you showed up? Okay, Well, doesn't that go along with everything we're told in the New Testament about being a believer? That hardships and trials and difficult things may come our way, that God might be revealed in those things? It's the same thing. He just did it before it was written by Peter or or Paul. It's the same exact thing. It's bad faith. It's bad understanding. Something bad must have happened to his parents, or they must have done something wrong that he was born blind. But it's obviously punishment. No. No, we live in a fallen world. People get sick. Good people get sick. Christians get sick. Christians suffer. They just do. But don't deceive yourself into thinking that they're, all the wicked people are you know, free of problems and trials. You know, That's a mistake. It's bad faith. 
And of course, I've already mentioned this, Matthew 5, 44 through 46, telling us, explaining to us, we need to love our enemies. He says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Just because there's blessings falling upon the wicked doesn't mean that God approves of their wickedness. It just means they're without an excuse still. These are witnesses against them. For example, Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, and the whole world, including all the disciples, forsook him, nailing him to the cross, but still accomplished everything so that we're without an excuse. I sent a Savior, God says. I sent a way for you to get to heaven. I I made it possible for you since you broke the law, since the covenant was broken. I made a new covenant and a possibility for you to get to heaven if you'll accept it. I've made that way for you. That's good faith. That's good understanding. That's good doctrine to understand these two scriptures. Appearances can be deceiving. Verse 10. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. I've done all these things, you know. A waste of time for me. Now that's awfully close to being sin, in my opinion. But he's not afraid to write it down in a song. He's not afraid to write it down his heart so everybody can understand it. To be transparent in your walk is important. Your family needs to see it. They need to see it. Not that you fainted or that you hate God, but just some questions. But they also need to see you come to the conclusions, the right answers too. Very important. My kids need to see me work out my faith, to work out my salvation, to understand doctrine, to, to admit when it's wrong and when it needs to be corrected. He does. Asaph figures it out. And lets the whole world know that he figured it out and that he was wrong in the beginning. It's very important to do that. We can't be so prideful that we want our kids to think that we're gods. You know, we can't be that prideful. It's really harmful to them because they'll think that they're always failures then. They'll never understand. I'm not, I'm not like dad. I'm not like mom. No, when they grow older and they began to have these questions, these fainting fits, these almost slip moments, they'll remember how they watched you go through those things. And maybe you don't have kids. Like, oh, I don't have any kids. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, someone's watching you. Someone is. And they need to see you work those things out. That's important. The writer here says, all I see is mockers and a full cup drained. It's an interesting verse. God really spoke to me on this one personally. I'll try to do my best best to explain what I think he's trying to say here. But if you, if you have a biblical worldview and you understand that everything was made by God for his pleasure, right? That means that every gifting, every talent, every dollar, everything, your abilities, if musical or uh, intellectual or whatever they are, they're all gods. It, it was made by him. It was given to you by him. Very important to understand that. If that's the case, that's the full cup he's talking about. Humanity is a full cup of God's blessings being poured out. Many, if not most, are using what God gave them for anything other than God's kingdom. And that's the cup being drained. You know, I remember the first time I heard it. You younger people won't know who I'm talking about. I know Eddie Van Halen. Some of you older folks with gray hair know who Eddie Van Halen is. A phenomenal guitar player. 
But that gifting that he has was not given to him by Satan. Satan can't give gifts like that. Only God can do it. And he used that gift that was meant to bring God glory in a horrible way. Okay, horrible. The songs still are in my brain. That's the cup being drained. Can you imagine if every gifting, if every wonderful thing that God's ever given was used to build the kingdom of God, to minister, to bring glory to God, was in Asaph's service, you know, as the worship leader, and not over there at some pub making a buck, you know, kind of thing. But that gifting was used to bring people into the presence of the Lord. What an amazing... And all the writer is saying here is, I see the full cup being drained by these wicked people. It's a shame. Treasures of the heart, the things that were meant for God's kingdom are spent elsewhere, abilities and otherwise. Matthew 6.21 tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And most of the world puts their treasure other places, mostly to take care of themselves, you know buy a yacht or whatever it is that they think they need, a jet, these things. And it doesn't have to be that extreme. It could be as, it could be as small as just, just me. That's all I care about is me. You know, we had some folks, and I'm just going to lay this out here for you. This is a real-life example. <laughs> we had some folks come here to come get some help or whatever. Um, and if you've been in the ministry for any amount of time, you understand that they just, they just hop. They go to church to church to church, pantry to pantry to pantry, and they try to grab as much as they can. They pack their car to the top, and then most of the time they sell it and, and do whatever or keep it or whatever. But there's no interest in God whatsoever, no interest in the Lord at all. Um, we have things here for people, but we try to keep it and give it to people that are interested in the Lord, that want you know the saints um, and those that come that want to know the Lord or whatever. But beside the, whatever the whatever the heart is, they came and gave them some stuff. Well. They begin to come back, and now they're going through the Operation Christmas Child stuff to see what they can find for themselves. Oh, these things are meant for children overseas that don't have anything. Not to pack your cars or your trunks with stuff so that you can sell on eBay, you know, kind of thing. You see what I'm getting at? I'm not being heartless when I say these people don't deserve stuff. I'm telling you, they don't deserve this stuff. That's for somebody else. Um, their treasure, their heart, their belly is never full. And that's physical, but also mental and emotional. Me, 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 all the time. You know? and that's a dangerous place to be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's just a question everybody has to ask. That's what Jesus brought up in Matthew 6. Where is your treasure? What is your biggest concern? Is it your belly or is it God's kingdom? It's a simple question. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You were cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not pour out for you a window of heaven and pour out for you such as blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, I hate teaching about this stuff and bringing it up. Because inevitably, the tithe box is about half full in mornings like this when I talk about money. Anytime I bring it up, it's about half. I don't know what happens, but the grip on the wallet gets tighter for some reason. So to our own detriment, I'm going to bring it up. I really be careful that we're not tipping God. Really be careful in our hearts that we're not tipping the Lord. You know, here's a 20. Hey, good for you. That was, that was okay. I like the worship set today. 
keep it. Absolutely keep it. We need to get to that place where, not this place, but the kingdom of God is where our heart is. And that's our focus. And that's what we're trying to build, you know? Um, and I see that, honestly, I see that diminishing in our fellowship a little bit. And it's concerning to me. I don't know if hearts are elsewhere or what's happening. I, we're fine, but we're selling that land over there for a reason. If you want this place to stay running, we got to sell that land so we can stay here. That's the way it is. Tithes are down. It just is. And so my concern isn't that the tithes are down. We're going to be fine. We'll minister with less, more, whatever. Makes no difference. We'll do what we have to do. But it's a heart issue then. What's happened? Um, my concern is, is the teaching soured? Has, um, has worship gone in a direction? Is, are there hearts? What's, what's going on? So I pray through these things. Um, so I have to bring this stuff up, and I want to be open and transparent about this because this is your place. You know, this is where you worship. It doesn't have to be. You can go anywhere, and that's fine. And if you choose to go someplace else, or if this place just, it's okay for things to go south. That's fine. If God's not in it, he's not in it. No one wants to be a part of something like that. Um, that's fine. But make sure the next place you land, you're not tipping God. That's a hard issue for anybody to deal with. You know, tithe is a law. Offering is above and beyond. And I'm just, you know, you think about the full cup being drained. It's just a question we have to ask ourselves. Is the cup that's meant for the Lord being drained into other things? You know, and I say that, and I, it's not meant to be a correction, but just a, um, just a reality. Be careful that your heart hasn't slipped away. And we do. We need those checks and balances once in a while. So, you know, it has been a while since I've, you know, done that or this or the other thing, you know, um, where I used to. I'm not there anymore in my mind and in my heart. And what is wrong with me? Maybe I shouldn't be here anymore. Maybe I don't get fed here anymore. Maybe I don't like it here anymore. Whatever it may be, but work it out. We've got to work these things out. Because there's a spiritual implication here. It makes no difference how much money comes in, but there's a spiritual implication here. Um, that the, the cup is, is, is being drained, and it's by worldly things. And we have to be careful that that doesn't take place in our walk, that we don't faint as we go older in the Lord, you know, and have fainting fits like this. So he comes out of it. Uh, verse 13, I read, verse 14. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I will have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. The writer says, as I work these things out in my heart, as I look at things, and I'm like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I know to be true. This is hard for me to work out. You know, it's painful for me to watch these wicked people doing well. To see the cup drained, God is <laughs> so much more, you know, so amazing um, who God is. And he said, I just don't understand this. It's hard for me to work out until, he says, I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Hmm. And that's where we are this morning. We're in the sanctuary of God. We begin to think about Mondays. And the difficulties in the, we have with people or the difficulties we have at work or with relationships, with our marriage, with our kids, whatever it may be, and the difficulties, and you wonder how things are going so well for them, and then you come into the sanctuary of God, you're, remembered about, you're reminded of eternity. You know, eternity is brought to mind. Oh, yeah. 
And we begin to refocus, zoom out, I think is the word I've heard. It really helps me understand that. I can become so myopic in, in my life, and I just get, it's like a, it's like a, a, a microscope. You know, I keep turning in, and I can see all these little things, and I forget there's a whole world around me going on, you know? Like the prophet, the, the prophet's helper who's looking around saying, you know, we're all dead. He goes, no, zoom out. Zoom out. Oh, no, they're dead. You know, I see that. And that's what's happening here with the writer. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm, I see these wicked people. And then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord and God, well, I zoomed out. I thought about eternity. And I thought about, um, I thought about what God, you know, has promised us. Why am I envious of the wicked and their lives when God says in his word, I've inherited all things with Jesus Christ? What could the world possibly have that I haven't already inherited? You know, what a beautiful thing to remember. I get Venus. You know? I get Saturn. That's way better than any billionaire on earth. They get a jet. You can't even get to Venus. You know, what a waste of time. And the writer here is zooming out. I came into the presence of the Lord and uh, what a blessing it was. His, his foolishness, he's admitting, is being corrected by God. It's foolishness. First of all, it's not a competition. It's not us and them. See, the kingdom of God is not in competition with the world. It just stands resolute. It's important. It's not fighting and struggling for every dollar. It's not fighting. You know, I read that one time, and, and, and I hope that didn't come across, that last little thing I said about tithing and offering. But I read somewhere, I, it's always funny how this, an atheist wrote this. Well, they say they're an atheist, but they're awfully mad at God for someone who doesn't exist. But um, that's typical. Um, I, I'm always amazed at this, you know, all-knowing God who's always short on cash. That's not it. That's not it. God's never short on cash. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. It's not that he's made himself, he's made the kingdom dependent upon us. We open our mouths or we don't open our mouths. We go or we don't go. We tithe or we don't tithe. It's completely up to us what happens with the kingdom of God. He will accomplish what he set out to do. Everybody's going to get saved that's supposed to get saved. But our participation in it is voluntary. And so the kingdom of God stands resolute. It's going to happen. It's all falling into place. Everything will happen just like the Bible says. It's just our participation in it is the only thing that's variable there. Little or, or none. So there's no competition between the kingdom of God and the world. The world absolutely loses. The wicked absolutely get punished. And the believers all go to heaven and God's kingdom will be established. That's all going to take place. It stands resolute. We're not battling. The battle is won. We either embrace it or we neglect it in our lives. That's our choice. But it's never diminished in value. Verse 20. Well, let me read the rest of it. Sorry, that's my next break. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a, as a dream, when a one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. I, I titled this next break, Prophetic Judgment Awakening. We think that God's um, silence on a matter is his approval, and of course it isn't. Or that his delay 
is that he's giving it the nod. Like, yeah, that's fine. I don't mind. No, no, he's long-suffering. He's patient and he's kind. He wants all people to come to know the Lord. And that's the only reason it has happened. But the writer here says, when God's judgment awakes, when it comes that time, oh my. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 10, and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And then later on, we've got other guys that get caught, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. I only have one verse. We won't read the whole passage, but you could. But Abraham said, son, remember, and he's speaking to the, to the rich man, remember in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. That's all this writer's saying. He says, yeah, it may look like that or appear like that, but their comfort is temporary and it's for today only because what's coming is coming. Sodom and Gomorrah, we usually think it's the homosexuality that caused them to be destroyed, but Ezekiel says, Look, in verse 49 of chapter 16, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. They chose not to participate. Sad. But that's what God saw, and that's what brought them to their end. Finally, Lucifer, (laughs) Satan. I don't mean to laugh, but we we think so much of him, and he's just not. Here's what the Bible says, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Is this the guy? He's nobody. When it all comes down to it, everybody's so worried about him. Everybody dresses up like him on October 31st or celebrates all of his activities on October 31st. Here we go. Oh, Satan, evil, wickedness. Is this the guy? And the writer's coming to that full circle, isn't he? Oh, it's the Lord. When I come into the presence of the Lord, everything becomes clear. What a blessing that is. To get that clarity. It brings peace to your heart. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. I don't know why I keep forgetting that stuff, but we do. If it's not right in front of our face, you know, we're a little ADD when it comes to that stuff. If it's not right in front of my face, it's out of mind. You know, I think it's so important to get right there. Verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved, not anymore, but was, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. A beast lives for today. It's only, uh, only concerned with its own gut. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. That's the truth. That's what I remembered when I came to the house of the Lord. I'm repenting from my doubt is what he's saying. I'm stopped and no longer going to be double-minded. You know, I know I love the Lord, but no, there's no double-mindedness in me. I'm going to focus on him. I'm not going to backslide. I refuse to be tripped up by this. I'm not going to slip. 
Almost, but I didn't. Almost stumbled, but I didn't. God's shared inheritance is our portion. That's us. We have that with him. Remember when God set up the priesthood? Way back, we've gone over it several times. <laughs> but when God set up the priesthood, when he set up the priest, the priests were not allowed to own land or any of this stuff. Their, their inheritance, he says, is me. Now, it was meant to be symbolic of us. You know, The rest of the world may be doing all that they're doing and busy about all the things they're doing, but the priests were meant to be focused on the service of the temple, focused on the service of God and taking care of the people. That's the focus of the believers. That's where our hearts should be. Then we'll finish up here. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's my portion. Just like the priests, my portion is God's. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. And that's the summary he puts there in verse 28. Let them desert the God, desert God for the world. He, they can go their way. Um, they've underestimated his eternal value, but not me, he says. I am focused. I am refocused. That's a great place to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Oh, we thank you for refocusing us this morning. No matter what Monday has for us, help us to remember how temporary everything is compared to the eternal weight of your glory, our purpose. I love that little video we watched, that one man who got that one last box. Um, What a sweet story about his mom's heart, too. If anybody's going to miss it, it's going to be my kids. And but he didn't, and he got it, and he's produced a hundredfold now, just in one year, and is dedicated to. He's refocused. Lord, help us to use all of our time and our talents, our giftings, for your kingdom, God, here or elsewhere. It makes no difference, but for your kingdom, wherever it may be, we may glorify you in all that we do, that we keep our eyes always on the throne, always have our eyes wide open to the spiritual things. It's not woe is us. It's woe is them. We thank you for that this morning, that, that, uh, just that gentle, beautiful touch that you have, Lord, to bring us to that place of peace and comfort in our hearts, to rest in you, to not be uh, anxious about the things of this world or the world itself. We stand resolute with you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great, well, have a great Monday. Try to anyway.